How is everyone doing tonight? Y'all look good. Y'all are dispersed out. Now I don't, I mean, it looks even on this side. It looks even on this side. I don't, I don't know which side to tend towards tonight. Um, it's good to see all of y'all. I, I was out last week and I was out this morning driving, driving the speed limit to come see you tonight. <laughs> Uh, Lord, forgive me because I am a sinner. (laughs) Let's open in prayer. Lord, I want to thank you for this day. I want to thank you for allowing us to gather together as believers. Lord, that we can come into a place like this and we can worship you openly and freely. Uh, Lord, with very little risk. Um probably the most risk that we have is the drive that it takes to get here and probably the most danger that it involves is on those rainy days lord um i thank you for that um i thank you that we can worship here freely and openly and our lives are not being uh required of us for such but in that i also pray that that we don't forget that we have brothers and sisters um quite possibly at this very moment, who are uh, gathering together in remote places, in dark holes, in caves, in homes where at any moment they may have someone barge in and their life may be required of them uh, for coming together. So I, I pray that as we join together here that we don't forget that we have brothers and sisters outside of these walls uh, and that we would always be uh, mindful and, and in much prayer of of all our fellow brothers and sisters around the world uh, that you are calling to yourself and and moving through the power of the holy spirit lord and and I ask that uh, as a body of believers here that you would motivate us through the uh, teaching and preaching of your word uh, and through the moving of the Holy Spirit in our personal study throughout the week in our lives that we would be called into uh, this great and high calling of proclaiming your name to the ends of the earth. Uh, Lord, I was reminded in class tonight as we were digging through scripture, uh, Dustin pointed us to Revelation where we see a picture of the church and heaven, those who have gone on before us, Lord, and, and if his vision uh, is is true, then we may, in fact, be a part of that because it was a prophetic view into the future for him. And if we uh, pass from this life to the next, then we will be a part of that. And that is an amazing thing to consider, Lord, that that when when you had your writer pinning those words and seeing those things, that, Lord, it, it could have been our face. Like he... How amazing and wonderful is it to know that we serve a God who when He makes promises, He does not fail in fulfilling those promises. And let us not doubt that the promise we see there in the truth of that scripture, that all nations, tribes, tongues, and people will be represented around your throne, that you will not fail in that. Lord, and as we consider tonight, as we open up scripture and dig in let us consider also our part in that like what what part can we as a body of believers here at mount carmel uh, have in that and i pray that you would uh, motivate us and lead us by your holy spirit into this 
great calling that you have placed on your people that you have brought to yourself through Christ and the work that he has done on the cross for us. Lord, I thank you. I ask as we open up Scripture tonight that you would seal my lips, that I would speak nothing of myself, and that we would dig into your word, that it might dig deeper into us. It's in Christ's name and for his glory. Amen. All right, so uh, before we kick off in Romans, we're going to be in Romans chapter 9 tonight. Uh, It's going to be a fairly short uh, sermon. I say that, and every time I say that, it ends up not being as short as I thought it would have been, uh, but at least the plan is that it will be a relatively short sermon tonight. We're going to kind of just get our feet wet, talking about some of the things that we will be digging deeper and deeper into uh, in the weeks to come. I would like to start out, so two weeks ago, um, after the service, Ruby Butler came up to me afterwards and and. Y'all are always so polite and so kind, um, and she handed me she handed me this note, and I want to share it with you today because as I was reading it, uh, as I got home, I thought, man, alive, this would be perfect, uh, a perfect place or a perfect kind of uh, stepping off point in some of the discussions that um, that we're going to be getting into in the next couple of weeks, and it, it'll it'll kind of give me an opportunity to maybe in digging into this as I read this. Uh, is Ruby here? Do I? Um, so, if anyone uh, were to talk to her, tell her that I spoke very highly of what she said, um, and that as I read through this tonight, I, I'm actually, you know, God's sovereign. Even in the handing of, even in the handing of notes uh, that people have taken. So, um, I want to read through this, um, and this is re- this is relating to some of the ideas that we're going to get into. Uh, in the in the coming uh, in the coming weeks, maybe maybe months, through uh, three chapters in total. So I want to I want to read kind of what Ruby had written down, just kind of thoughts that she'd been uh, I imagine putting together uh, in in uh, relation to some of the things that we had been kind of uh, picking at in the weeks leading uh, you know leading up to the sermons uh, that lead up to tonight. So. Let me just start by, I'm going to read it in full from what she's, uh, from what she had written down. So, um, until I tell you otherwise, this is, this is Ruby's words. And, um, man, whenever, whenever I see her again, I'm going to have to tell her, uh, like, this is very well written, very well, um, I'm going to have to get her to write my notes out for church service because she, she is, is a, a, an amazingly intelligent and thoughtful, uh, lady, so um, here here goes. Um, predestination, Romans. She's written down a couple of different scriptures, and I just I'll read them out. Romans eight twenty eight thirty, which is where we were at a couple of weeks ago. Uh, Ephesians uh, one thirteen fourteen, um, and then here we go. Paul does not deny that God predestined some to life and others to death. He is unwilling, however, to draw the lot to draw the lines with any certainty or to declare unequivocally that God has predestined some to eternal damnation, it is doubtful the tension between predestination and free will can ever be completely resolved. We must content ourselves with the knowledge that our final destiny will be determined by our relationship with Christ and that God is unwilling that any should perish. 
but that all should come to repentance. Second Peter 3, 9. Uh, she's got a little note based on scriptures. I love that. Um, I, and, and then she says, I believe in free will, but we can't ignore, uh, but we can't ignore Paul's writings. Uh, then two kind of little side things on this. The elect is the church, um, and who accepts Christ. So, wow, there's so much in that. And I just want to, like, I just, I wish Ruby was here tonight so that I could just be like, wow, like, you're thinking, right? And as I see this, the reason that I want to bring this out and kind of dig through it uh, is because there's a lot of this in here that we've said nothing of or little of, and then there's some of these things that we've been digging into a little bit. But I think it, it goes to show that as we dig into some parts of Scripture, we immediately start thinking of things, right? As we've been digging into a couple of weeks ago, we looked at, we looked at Romans chapter 8, uh, 28, 29, 30 there. Uh, and it has the word predestination, predestined, like that, that word in there. And, and, and this is kind of, and we're gonna be, man, a lot, it's gonna be fun. There's gonna be a lot of good stuff that we're gonna dig into over the coming weeks. Um, but what I wanna, what I wanna point out, uh, I wanna point out a couple of different things. And, and it's kind of my approach in digging through scripture. Um, I don't, I don't, I don't want to go where the scripture itself is not going, right? So I've not used word, so I want to go ahead and tell you, and, and I'll just go, go ahead and throw it out there. I've mentioned a couple of times in the past kind of where I stand on the whole, like, if you were going to put camps together on this, and I don't fall into Arminianism, and I don't fall into Calvinism, I fall into a camp that's called Molinism, um, and I haven't said much more other than that. I, I expect that probably a good deal of you have gone out and searched, maybe Googled around on that. Um, maybe some of you have not. Um, I would encourage you do that. Dig in like these kind of these kind of things are what, what you're going to dig into uh, as you do that. Um, one thing that I want to do. So I haven't I haven't been out waving a huge flag on free will, right? Have you? Is that is that obvious? Does everybody that's been here can 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 y'all say that Landon has has maybe dropped the ball on free will, or he hasn't been holding the flag up so high on the freedom of man, that kind of thing? I want to say that I haven't, right? So one thing that I want to say is I do believe that I have freedom, right? Now I'm gonna I'm gonna say I have free will asterisk, and I'm gonna put an asterisk up there, and I'm gonna talk about free will in a, in a particular kind of way. Right? Because I don't believe that you are as free as you think yourselves to be. Right? And that's why I've strayed away from the word free will. And the word that I, the word that you'll tend to hear me using regards to our freedom will be something like responsibility. Right? Like you are responsible when you, and, and this is very clear picture of this. In scripture, you will one day stand before God in judgment and you will be responsible for the lives that you live. Right? Follow me? So, you robots and computers are not responsible. Right? And, and the way that I'll kind of tend to 
to put this out there whenever I discuss it with people is, is I would say something like, if you were driving down the road and one day somebody's going to have an automated car, a car that can drive itself, right? When that car runs someone off the road, are you going to blame the car or are you going to blame the manufacturer of the car? Who would you blame? The manufacturer of, you would bet there was a bug, a glitch, the programmers did something wrong, the machine malfunctioned. You are not machines in that sense, right? You are not machines in that sense. But I'm not going to throw the word or wave the, the flag of free will because I don't think that you're free in the way that you believe yourselves to be free. And I believe that Scripture is clear on this. And I believe that if we stop for a moment and maybe... Think on it, we'll realize the same thing. And I, and I would, I would put a wager to any of you that, uh, I would guarantee you that you don't feel yourself so free that you would climb up to the edge of the church by the steeple and jump off and fly. How many of you are free to climb up there and fly? How many of you, if you wanted to with all your heart and mind, wanted to stand at the top and jump up? How many? Do we have a super? Because I would love to see it if we did. Any, anyone? Do you know what you would realize is if you stood at the top of the Empire State Building? I'm talking about a sane person here. I'm not talking about somebody out of their mind. I'm talking about any one of us. If we stand at the top and you look over the edge, do you know what happens when you look over the edge? You don't have to be afraid of heights. Your stomach is going to kind of come up a little bit, right? Why? Because you know the truth. You know that you are bound in a very real way to gravity. And if you fall off the edge, you will hit the ground. True? So you are not free to float through the air. Right? Do you all follow me there? That no matter what willing you would put into that, you will not simply stand there, jump, and fly. Right? You can't do it. So we have to build airplanes to do it. Right? So, in the same way... Or helicopters. Yes, <laughs> this is good. Maybe. Listening, I like that. In the same way, you wouldn't ha- I wouldn't have to worry about you jumping off the edge. Do you know why? Because based on who you are, you are programmed to preserve your own life. You value your life. So as you stand, the reason that it draws your stomach up is because you love your life. And you can't, in all that you are, you cannot deny that. You can, you make it wrestle with it, you can make it fight, you make it take some drugs that would get you out of your mind so you didn't feel it as much. But based on who you are, as you stand on the edge with the depths that you would fall, knowing in your mind, what would you do? You would step back. Right? You would step back. It is who you are. Right? So, when I talk about freedom, what I want to talk about is the way that Scripture itself defines our freedom. And as we go through uh, Romans We've covered this here. Romans tells us what we do 
with the freedom that we have. And, and, I, and I go to this time and time again, and, and we were in a good discussion about this tonight in class. And I want us to, uh, men that were there, I want us to think about this more and more and more. And for those of y'all that were not there, I want you to, I want you to follow with me. And, and I've seen this on Facebook a couple of different times. And it's kind of a good place to, to step off from in the discussion of this. This, this idea that, that no one was born to hate. Right? And, and what I would, what I would tell you instead is that you were not born to love. And that's the, the scripture itself tells us that built within us is sin. Right? Built within who we are from our Father, sin has so corrupted mankind that I need not tell you to lie. You lie. Right? I need not tell you to hate. You hate. Where did hate come from if not from people? Culture didn't make people hate. People make cultures. We live in a culture of hate because people hate, right? People hate. This is what Scripture tells us when it says things like this. No one is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for good. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good. Not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asp is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. In their paths are ruin and misery. In the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. This is a declaration of humanity. So in the same way that fear binds us, our nature binds us. You did not seek God. He sought you. He sought you. If you were placed in Adam's spot, And all you had to do was not eat of the tree. What would you do? What would you do? Are you the one that He should have put there? What does all of our life tell us? Please, church, please show me one righteous man. One. Do you... Please, I want us to raise our hands. Do you think there is 7 billion plus, probably, people in the world today? Who of us believes one of those adults is righteous? None is righteous. None alive today. None that will be alive tomorrow. None that have lived a thousand years before us. There is but one righteous man. That man is Christ. This is why the gospel is so critical. Because no one, if, here's, we teach to hate. Yeah, is that the truth? Look, look, who taught Cain and Abel to do their thing? Right? If you were placed in that spot, would you not slay your brother? Yet we do it with our tongues every day. Is this not what Christ shows us? 
Is this, not the, is this not the character that He reveals us to have? That we are murderers and liars and need of a gospel. The healthy need not a physician. Who needs a physician? The sick. And the gospel comes to us to reveal to us that we are indeed sickened by sin. Infected by it such that we need God to change us. And He is the only one who can give us life. So when we talk about freedom, I want us to understand that I believe that your actions are are your own. But I believe that you do what you are. And that you are not taught to do it. You are sinful apart from the work of Christ. And that is why Scripture gives such a heavy, a heavy outpouring of truth when it says no one, no one, no one. Because the truth is, no one. We have so abused our freedoms that we are enslaved to sin. That is the picture of the gospel. Christ comes to us and provides a better hope. And He sends preachers of the gospel. Faith comes by watch. We're not there yet. We're not there yet. And this is why I say, like, there's some of this, like, I want to read this and I want to say, look, be patient. I want to say, be patient. When we get there, I believe that you're going to be like, it makes sense now. It is in the midst of chapters 9, 10, and 11 that we find these things, right? Faith comes by hearing, right? So I've not, I, and, I, and I'll make mention of it again and again, but the central importance of the gospel message being preached should be clear to us there. Faith comes by hearing what? By hearing what, church? And if they do not hear the word, of Christ, what is their hope? Will they not murder? Will they not commit adultery? Is there one man or woman alive who will not? The gospel says no one is righteous. No, not one. So, with that in mind, Let us now go to chapter 9. So here we have, and I'm going to, I'm going to, what, I'm I'm going to, I know we got a business meeting. 637. Let me read quickly. Be patient with me, church, please. Let's read the end of chapter 8, just so that we can get our minds wrapped around. What shall we say then to these things if God is for us? Who? can be against us. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who inter- who interceded, 
who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. Verse 37, no, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers not height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God and Christ Jesus our Lord what a magnificent hope that we have in Christ amen do we not have the most profound hope in him that the one who saved us keeps us And that nothing in all creation can stand against us. What an amazing hope. But a question remains for some. Right? This is why 9, 10, and 11. As we come through Scripture, and as we looked at the word predestination when we hit it in in chapter 8, what I I wanted to tell you is I wanted to, why here, why now? Right, And I want us to ask ourselves that question again as we start looking at this big run. Probably, and preachers, y'all let me know, I think this may very well be the thickest run through all of Scripture where we see predestination. Like, like where you can't, like there's, it's just unavoidable through this, this three chapter run. Am I mistaken there, or is, I'm I'm pretty sure that there is no other place that you find this as thick and heavy and absolutely unavoidable as you do here. And the question that I raise again is why, why here, why now, right? Why here, why now? And it's a question that for us, like like we could take or leave for the most part chapters nine, ten, and eleven, like. Uh, maybe apart from the latter part of 11, the church in America today, like that, like we could set it to the side and it not mean too much because we're made up of people who are, are generations and generations past this time and we're also Gentiles and, and we're not Jews and we haven't been made tons and tons of promises and it doesn't seem as though those promises have failed to us. But what we find here, Right? What we find when we come to this place in Scripture is Paul addressing a major question that I hope has not been avoided. And what I want to tell you is that when Christ comes on the scene, the people who seemed to be God's people missed the boat. Correct? Did, did, did the apparent people of God not miss the boat completely when Christ came on the scene? If they had not missed the boat the Jews would be following Christ. Yet they're not. So the question remains, if God is doing all of this, what about the promises that He's made? Right? What about the promises that God made to Abraham and to His people and to His descendants? The... This is big hope and big promises in chapter 8 if God is a God who keeps His promises. But if God is a God who would change His mind and change His plans on a whim, then you may be dead in the grave and God say, you know what, I think I'm going to do Muhammad. Right? But God's plan is not going to fail. And this is what Paul is wanting to bring out in this. 
In this whole run, what Paul wants to show is that God cannot fail and that Christ is not plan B, right? All of this, the question to why we'll find in the opening of this. And I want us to look at the way that he opens this. I want us to see that Paul himself, and we spent much time up front looking at Paul, who Paul was. Paul is a Jew. Paul is burdened with the weighty, weighty burden for his people who have apparently rejected God. And I imagine in those early years after he's come to Christ, that this is one of the questions that was probably in his mind again and again. And it's probably the reason that we find him spending three chapters on this question through here. But what I want us to get at first is that Paul is not here rubbing in his face or rubbing in anyone's face this idea of, of God doing his thing. Right? Like, I don't want us to get that. I want us to see the weight, the burden that it is on the man who's giving us this, who could have said, no, I'm going to put it to the side. So he sees importance in it. 9, 10, and 11 support 8. In a way that 8 would, would not be what it is, there would be a lingering question had he not addressed it in chapters 9, 10, and 11. So as you prepare for these chapters in the coming weeks, I want you to approach it with that, that question of why. And here, here we're going to get into the why. 9-1. I am speaking the truth in Christ. I am not lying. So what do you think he's telling us here? What do you think he's telling us? Maybe the truth. Maybe the, maybe the truth. Maybe what he says here is true. My conscience bears me witness in the Holy Spirit. I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. Do you think that Paul is burdened for his people? And I'm talking his people, a culture, right? Because here's what I, we, the church, are his people, right? We are his people. But he is burdened for his people, the people of the Jewish nation. Right? He's burdened for people who have rejected Christ. And, and, and in this, I, I'm just reminded back to class a few minutes ago, and I think, wow, how God aligns things, because absolutely unorchestrated in, in any way. And, and I think here, what burden? Man, what burden do we have for the culture around us who has rejected Christ? What, what unceasing anguish do we show in our prayer life? What unceasing anguish do we show in the way that we encourage one another? In the way that we encourage one another to go out and to fulfill the commission that's been given? It will succeed. Right? That's the hope that we find in Revelation, is that it will succeed. The throne of God will be surrounded by every nation, every tribe, every tongue. It will succeed. And we can be a part of that. And I pray that as we dig through this, that, that, that we would, that the Holy Spirit would give us this kind of unceasing anguish for our brothers and sisters who are yet to be. Right? Those who have yet to accept the gospel, but they will because we will go. We will go. The church will move. For I could wish that I myself were cursed and cut off for Christ for the sake of my brothers. 
What a weighty thing. That, now, here's what, I, here's what I want to tell us this is not saying. This is not saying that Christ is, that, that Paul is here saying, I would go to hell for them. This is, this is, he is telling us here that he would be willing to be separated from his brothers and sisters in Christ if it meant that his people, the Jews, would come. There was probably a fear in his mind that, that they saw him as a traitor and that they wouldn't even consider the church because of him. And he's saying, if it would be God's will, I would have the church excommunicate me if it would mean my brothers, the Jews, would come. And in that, I think, most of us probably, we think, well, you know, I could probably do without the church. You could see that in the way that we, that we live or maybe don't live together. But, but I want us to see that Paul uses this to show us how much he cares for the Jews. So what that should show us about Paul's understanding of the church is how critical it is for us to be in the body of Christ. So let us take that away from this tonight as well. My kinsmen, according to the flesh, verse 4, they are Israelites, to them belong the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the worship, and the promises. Right, so he's pouring out here. So maybe if his brothers or sisters in the Jewish nation, in that culture, were to, were to read this and see this, that they would not be turned off in thinking that he has rejected who he is. Right? Like, it would be similar to me saying, well, I'm not an American. Right? I'm not saying that. He's not saying that he's not from the nation of the Jews here. Right? They are Israelites, and to them belong the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the worship, and the promises. He's lifting this people high. To them belong the patriarchs, and from their race, according to the flesh, is Christ. What he's saying here is to those who would think that that he's got some ill will against the Jews, against this people who have rejected God here, what he's saying, what he's saying here is that forever a Jew will be exalted. That Jew is Christ, right? So there could be no takeaway from this that Paul has anything but the best of ten intentions in what he's about to pour out, right? And that's why as we get into this, I want you to take that into account as we, as you prepare in the weeks to come for, for what is chapter nine. We're going to end uh, by looking at this next verse. So, to them belong the patriarchs, and from their race, according to the flesh, is the Christ, who is God over all and blessed forever. Amen. But it is not as though the Word of God has failed. And I see Paul repeating that to himself over and over and over as he looks out at his people and he sees his people. And they have rejected. And I, I see us as a takeaway in America today. And we look out in the culture and we see a culture that, that not too long ago was probably a, you could as close to a Christian nation as you could probably get and now has gone so far. And I want to tell you, church, encourage you that it is not as though the Word of God has failed. Right? As you go out into this world, it is not as though the Word of God has failed. So that the question that we are answering in this is, will God change His mind, or could He fail? Right? Because it would seem that for the Jewish nation, He has failed to fulfill the promises that He has made to them. And Paul is saying, no, He has not failed. 
He's made it bigger. Right? He's made it bigger. Right? So where many would look at this and they would come away with many things that are like, it seems like, Landon, like, as you're going through this, there's some things that are limiting, 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 right? And that's why we, that's why we fear so much me not waving a, a, a free will flag, because if I don't wave the free will flag, then what you realize is that the nations that have not been preached the gospel are full of sinners who will die and go to hell, and that sits very uneasy on us. But it is the truth of God's word that if they do not hear the gospel, they will die in their sin and burn eternally in His wrath. And it is our responsibility to go to them with the gospel. And if that doesn't weigh heavy on us, heavy on us, it should. They need the gospel. People will die today having having not heard only hope that they have for salvation. Not because they were good people. Because they were sinners in need of a God who is both just and the justifier. So, verse 6, the first part of it. But it is not as though the Word of God has failed. We're going to be examining this and we're going to be seeing in this thread that goes through 9, 10, and 11 how Paul is going to show us no, 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 friends. The Word of God has not failed. Right? I want you to see as we're digging through this Paul being like, oh no, uh-uh. God ain't failed. You think, you think, shame, man. You, you think God failed. You think God, you, you think He could fail, Dustin? Do you, you, really? You think that could happen? No, no. Watch this. Watch this, he says. Watch this. And then we are going to end, right? So, this is, and I don't know how far off this is, but I want to drop this out there so that we can see this. So, it, it, in chapter 11, and we're going to kind of end with this. I'm going to read verse 32, and I'm just going to kind of flow through through 30, 35. Uh, and then we'll go into business meeting or do some more praise and worship. But I want you to see where we're going. All that we're going to be digging into, all the difficult and hard truths that we're going to be getting into, answering the question, has God failed? Has the Word of God, has the promises of God, could the hope that we have in our Savior fail us? Could it fail you? It is not as though the Word of God has failed. Verse 32 of chapter 11, For God has consigned all to disobedience that He may have mercy on all. If the Jews had not fallen away, you would be lost. Do you know why you would be lost? Because they weren't going to preach the gospel. They weren't going outside. There were people that's like me and mine and no more. Let me get my promises, and that's enough for me. But it ain't like the Word of God can fail. So when they said, it's mine, he said, no, everybody's in sin. And now mercy's going to pour out from the cross of Christ to all people, every nation, every tribe, 
every tongue. And Paul ends after, after, after digging through, and, and this is where we're going. As we're digging through this, we're digging to this hope. And this is where we're going to end tonight. This is where I pray that in the weeks, and you pray for me as I prepare to teach each and every one of these. This is where I hope that this truth leads us. Would you pray for me in this church? Would you please pray for me in this, man? We don't end up like the nation of the Jews. For God has consigned all to disobedience that me may have mercy on all. Verse 33, oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are His judgments and how inscrutable His ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord? Who has been His counselor? Who has given Him a gift? To him that he might be repaid for from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. Let us pray. Lord, I thank you for this day. I thank you for the hope that we have in Christ. Lord, I just pray forward to the sermons to come.